0: Welcome, and thanks for joining us for another sermon from True Vine Baptist Church and Pastor Josh LaGrange. This week, Pastor Josh continues to preach through the book of Romans. In this sermon, we are shown another privilege of the believer. Nine graces of the Holy Spirit are revealed and explained. You can join us by turning in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 as Pastor Josh delivers his message titled, The Hope and Privilege of the Believer.
1: Romans chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 11 again. Maybe by the time we're done with this, we'll all have it memorized. Romans 11, excuse me, Romans 5, 1 through 11. If you see the back of your bulletins there, uh, got the list of the points that we are uh, making our way through here. So Romans 5, 1 through 11, and then we will pray and ask for God's grace. Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, our God. um, Father, we are asking for your mercy now. We say it a lot, but it is something we got to recognize for ourselves, O Lord. If you do not come, if you do not stir, if you do not send of your spirit to shine light on the truths and bring us out of our natural trajectories, then this will be a complete waste of time and we may even leave worse than when we came. Father, we need you at work in us. We ask that you give us of your spirit. We know that your word tells us that in Christ we have of your spirit, but you also show us that we can be filled to greater and lesser degrees. And so we ask, oh God, come and move powerfully now. God, we just humble ourselves before you. We're dust, we're nothing, we're sinful. We were running away from you when you came to us. You sovereignly drew us. You loved us, you pursued us, you awakened us, you helped us to believe every single moment since that first moment of belief, you have guided, walked with, protected us, drawn us to yourself. Whatever good has come in our lives, it is of you, O oh God. We are your people, humbly bowing before you and crying out, oh God, please show us more of you. We want to know you. Give us the grace, O God, that in this next bit of time, we can just forget ourselves, forget about putting ourselves on a platform and just completely be fixated all of our attention on your glory. And God, as you show us who you are, transform us more into the likeness of that glory, O God. Please give grace I'm begging, O God, show us truths and then transform us by those truths. Help me to do what I need to do to teach rightly. And Father, all of us to hear your sons and daughters, O God, to be pierced and grown and the lost to be converted, O God. Please work. We ask these things through our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. You may remember Samson from the book of Judges in the Old Testament as the Really strong guy who did some of those crazy sounding things. Once slayed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. Uh, Once ripped out uh, a city gates by its very foundation, carried it up a hill. And a guy who was kind of a shady character morally. But oftentimes when uh, kids books depict Samson or those movies are made about him, they very often depict him as this raging hulk of a man and give the impression that he was strong because he was strong. When what the Bible actually shows us is Samson's strength came from the Spirit of God resting on him, the person that we in the new covenant now know as the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Samson did not rip out the gates of a city because he did a lot of squats. He ripped out those gates. His effectiveness, his power came from the presence of God resting on him. And and in fact, there came a time in Samson's life when the Spirit of God departed from him. If you remember, uh, Samson had been called to live as a Nazarite. That was that was a, a special vow uh, in the Old Testament that God had said. And he had been given the instruction that his whole life he was to live as a Nazarite. And there were uh, commands that were a part of that. Samson systematically broke every command that was a part of the Nazarite vow. And when he finally broke that last part of it, which was... In the Nazarite vow, you were not to cut your hair in the days of your vow. On the very last day, you were to shave it all and then offer it as an offering to God in a symbolic kind of way. When he finally had broken that last part of it, the Spirit of God departed from him. You you always got to be careful. It's at these kinds of moments that... um, Sometimes people think they know what the Bible says, but without actually reading the text, Um, Samson did not lose his strength because of his magical hair. Okay. Like this isn't a lesson on kids, grow your hair long and you can be strong like Samson. Okay. That's not what is going on here. This was part of a Nazarite vow. He had broken every part when the last part of the vow was broken and his connection with God in the vow ended. The spirit of God left him and the Bible says he became like any other man. He wasn't strong because he was strong. His strength was not in himself. His strength was in the presence of God resting on him through the Holy Spirit. Well, in Romans 5, and particularly in verse 5, which is where we're settling on today, we're told that the Holy Spirit, his presence in our lives has been given to us as yet another amazing gift of God. The grace of the Holy Spirit coming to live within us is is yet another one of these benefits that we have as a result of being justified. Christian, being made right with God. Okay, so the word justified, if you've not been with us through this study, the word justified, primarily what it means there is to be declared righteous, declared not guilty, We're made right with God, which happens in a moment, at the moment of turning to Christ in faith. Christian, when we're made right with God, you know, we're brought into a new world. It's it's a new kingdom. Yeah, we still got these old broken bodies and we're still living in this broken, cursed world. But your name has been written in the book of life. You are a citizen of that kingdom that is to come And what God does is he begins already to start giving us taste of what the new world will be. He begins to start giving us graces, even now, it's just in taste form, it's just a sip of what we will drink deeply of in the age to come but we begin to already taste of these benefits. In the age to come, we will be with God face to face, drinking deeply of what it means to know him and see all of his glory. But even right now, God gives us an amazing grace He didn't just save your soul from hell, Christian. Like that would have been enough. If all he had done save your soul and say, I'll let you live in a cursed world for all of eternity. Be like, thank you, God, that I'm not going there. This is good. But what God has done is so astounding. We'll worship him forever. And here's, here's another in the long, long list of gifts, another grace given as a part of our justification. Even now. God's presence comes to us. Yeah, yeah, we're waiting to be fully with God. But in mercy, he comes to us now. And he comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. This passage that we're reading through has been listing out benefits of justification. We've made our way through five of them so far on that list on the back of your bulletins today. We're ready for number six. We're gonna specifically just think through this one. God's presence coming to live with us is another gift. And so let me, let me kind of give you just in a very simple statement, what is the central idea of the text? And then we're gonna kind of go deeper and go to some other places in scripture as we do this. Verse five here, is assuming that you know a whole lot about who the Holy Spirit is and what he's doing. And the passage is simply making the point that to you believer, if you've not turned to Christ, there are a there is a world of blessings that you are not yet in. You're on the outside looking in at something that you are not yet drinking of and is not yet yours, and the biggest one there is eternal life. You need Christ, look to Christ. But to you, believer, God has sent his spirit to come and dwell inside of you, and he is doing a work. The Bible describes a whole lot of what he does, but verse 5 here is describing one particular thing that he is doing inside of you. He is at work inside of you, pouring out God's love to you. Meaning he is dispensing God's love. He is convincing you. He is testifying internally. He is working to show you, to bring you to a place of assurance of where you stand. He wants to bring you to a place that you know that you are loved by God. You are deeply convinced of this. And that brings a confidence to your life, not in yourself, but in him. And where you stand, a confidence that you stand in a position of grace as sons and daughters of God. He's at work bringing comfort, strength, joy. He wants to build you up so that you walk in this world as sons and daughters of the living God. And when you are confident that you are sons and daughters of the living God and are grateful about it, We will live lives of obedience. That's primarily what verse five is saying. But one of the things we've been doing as we walk through this passage, the passage is very briefly stating, here's a benefit, you have peace with God. And then it moves on. We've kind of been taking that and then going deeper. What else does the Bible have to say about peace with God? Last Sunday, we looked at God's love for us. And so we kind of did a doctrinal study on the love of God and then applied it. What does it mean to hear? I want to do something similar today concerning the Holy Spirit. Romans is assuming you know a lot about him. Let's make sure that we do know a lot about him. Who is he? What is he doing? And why is it such a big deal that he's come to us? You know, when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit coming to us, like it just says it in these big, big ways. Like this is something to really be excited about. I don't know about you, but kind of early days in my Christian walk, I'd hear about that and sort of be like, okay, (laughs) sounds nice and all, but I don't really feel that much difference. What is the big deal? Why is it such a big thing that he's with us? Well, let's investigate that and look into some of these things. So one major point, point number six from our outline, but let me give you three subpoints as we're going to work through these. It'll be, who is he? What is he doing? And what's the big deal? Um, so letter A, who is he? He's called by a lot of different names in the Bible and every one of those names shows us a little bit more of who he is. Now maybe maybe just a little bit of a word of caution here might be helpful as we begin. One of the things that we can have a temptation to as Christians is is this. It's sometimes after we learn certain truths to think, you know, box checked, you know, got that one covered. You know, I know that one now already. We have a dangerous Christians of thinking sometimes that we we reach this status of like I'm a professional Christian now. I've arrived. Kind of like whenever we studied things in high school and once you pass the test, now I can forget about it and move on. We just sort of think that's covered. When the reality is of as we study the word of God, we are coming to know God himself, not simply about facts. So as I'm talking about these things, don't fall to the temptation of being like, all right, these next five minutes, I can just kind of check out because I know all about him already. Did that in kindergarten class. Okay, no, we're coming to know who he is. He is called the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the father, the Holy spirit, the spirit of truth. He's called the comforter or the advocate. He is the third person of the Trinity. He is a he and not an it. Does that make sense? This isn't the Jedi force that we're talking about. Some weird mystical power that God has sent to the earth. He's a distinct person but in perfect unity with the father and the son. We see him in even the second verse of the Bible. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The father, the son, and the Holy Spirit were all active and present at creation and are all active and present and involved in your salvation. Old Testament believers did not understand the part that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, he is a distinct person. This is more of what's been revealed in the new covenant. He is eternal with the Father and the Son, one God in three persons. Now I expect most of that you've probably heard before. Let's take it and go a little deeper. Think about what is revealed in the fact That the Bible tells us that he is the spirit of the father and he is the spirit of the son. Meaning that the father and the son have the same spirit. They share the same spirit. Jesus pointed out to us in scripture, I and the father are one. Now now listen, we've got to be so careful. By, By the way, this is one of the quickest places to come to heresy. When we talk about the Trinity, And when we talk about who God is, and it's one of the places we just cannot get wrong. There's a reason why we got to be so careful. And and, and it's sometimes even technical in the language that we use, because we do not want to get this wrong. It's not okay to get this wrong. When Jesus said that I and the Father are one, he did not mean that they, and we can use the pronoun they, pronouns are important, okay? And the way Jesus uses them is important. They are not the same person. There are two distinct persons in the Father and the Son, but they are united as one God, one God in three persons. Our God exists as Father, Son, in spirit, three in one. When Jesus was explaining to the apostles uh, that after he ascended into heaven, that he would send his spirit onto the earth, uh, Jesus spent some significant time in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. If you wanted to read that this afternoon to kind of follow up, we're going to be there quite a bit today. 14, 15, 16, he was explaining why it is such a blessing that he would come and explaining some of what he will do. As Jesus was explaining who the Holy Spirit is and what he does, some of what he described is what the Holy Spirit has been doing since the beginning of creation. But other things of what Jesus was explaining were new things. There are new graces that you and I in this new covenant have that Old Testament believers didn't get to have. New graces and the Holy Spirit, he is the one working these new graces within us. And Jesus said of him, as he was explaining, he called him the spirit of truth. And then listen to this phrase, who proceeds from the father. He proceeds from the father. That language of proceeds of the father, that's critical to us understanding who he is. And then taking in those other passages that show us that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. He proceeds from the father and the son. All right. So in the same way, that we got to do some deep thinking and we got to do some very technical and critical thinking to understand who Jesus is, the second person of the Trinity, the Son. We have to understand that he is eternal and he is begotten of the Father. Begotten, not made, not created. The language that Christians have been using since the early fathers is that the Son, he is eternally begotten of the Father, meaning this, there was never a time before the world was made and eternity passed that Jesus was ever created. There was never a time that Jesus didn't exist and all of a sudden then God the Father made him. No, no, no. That's not what happened. He's eternal. He has always lived as God with the Father. And yet he is begotten. Of course, this is mysterious. We're talking about the infinite God. He is eternally begotten. Okay, So in order to understand Jesus, we have to understand those things. Well, in a similar way, to understand the Holy Spirit, Jesus said he proceeds from the Father. Here's the language of the Westminster Confession. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit eternally begotten proceeding from both the Father and the Son. Then one more biblical explanation, okay? This, this is a helpful one. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. I'm going to do a lot of referencing scripture. You can turn there if you want to. But 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11, listen very carefully as what is said here. For the Spirit, this is speaking of the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now think about what has been said there. You, human, have a spirit. Your body and spirit. You have a spirit, but your spirit is not his own person. God's spirit is a person. He is the spirit of the father and the son. So in trying to understand then who he is and his nature in a similar kind of way, we're we're brought into just some of the deepest things that the Bible shows. So now, okay, now you can maybe kind of rest easy. Some of the technical parts, we've said those things. Here's the second part, second truth. In this new covenant, we receive the Holy Spirit. At the moment of conversion, the the brand new believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit. You could reference John 1 and a lot of other places in the New Testament there. What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? It means that God comes upon us. The Holy Spirit floods us. We are attached to God. We are united with Christ by being in union through the Holy Spirit. Um, Romans 8, 9 says this, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if you Indeed, the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. One of the things that verse shows is if you are a Christian, a truly justified believer, you have the Holy Spirit. There's no such thing as a believer who doesn't have the Holy Spirit now that we are in this age after the book of Acts and the age of the apostles, okay? That's a big deal. And you can see that flesh out in some various groups. In John 14, 23, by the way, if you want to flip to John 14, 15, 16, that kind of area, we're going to go there quite a bit today. I'm going to reference quite a few verses. But in John 14, 23, Jesus said this, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, pronoun, we will come to Him and make our abode with Him. Jesus is telling us that the child of God will have the Father and the Son come to reside inside of us, make their abode in us, And it's in the same passage that Jesus was introducing, explaining who the Holy Spirit is and what he will do. The theme that runs from 14, 15, and 16 is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. What he will be doing in us. God the Father, God the Son, come to live inside of the believer through the Holy Spirit. Uh, In John 14, 16, and 17, You can look there for a second. I'm going to go there myself. John 14, 16 and 17. Jesus says this, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him. Now this part is specifically for the apostles. So listen closely. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So to the apostles, he says, he's with you and he will be in you. That was spoken before Jesus ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to us on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. So the believers pre-Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come to them and be with them. We might think of that as this is how God was with his people in the Old Testament, in a way that he was with them. But what Jesus says is something greater will happen post Pentecost. Something in a more multiplied and dramatic and powerful way will happen after the day of Pentecost. He will be in you, he has made his home in us. This is why 1 Corinthians 3 tells you that every Christian, every justified believer, you are a temple of the spirit of God. There's no longer a geographic place on the earth that we must travel to in order to meet with God, in order to have the presence of God. You do not have to get on a plane, travel to Israel, go to Jerusalem at what's left of the foundations of the temple that's there to say, well, this is where God is on the earth. Christian, you meet with God and his presence is with you every single time you seek to engage with God. In worship, be that corporately where yes, there is something more powerful and special that happens when believers get together in groups, but also tomorrow morning when you wake up to read your Bible and seek God's face before you start your day, you are communing with him and his presence is with you he is present with us and he is present in us he's the member of the Trinity most present with us when you feel the nearness of God when you sense the presence of God that's the Holy Spirit and also Christian when you don't feel it when you don't feel his nearness When it doesn't seem that he's close to you, he is. There are times where our communion with him, where what we understand is at greater or lesser degrees, but objective reality, Christian, he's with you at all times. And so here's another incredible gift of God God didn't just save our souls from hell. God has brought us to himself, entered into relationship with us in something that sounds so amazing, it almost sounds like it would be blasphemous if Jesus had not said it first. We are brought into the very fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Jesus said it like this. The Father is in me, and I am in him, and we are in you. He said to the believer, we are brought into the very fellowship of the Holy Spirit, of this union. God doesn't just from a distance toss you little scraps of grace. If that's all he did, be fine. We would be eternally grateful if that's all he did. But what he's done, Christian, it is hard for us to get our minds around the gravity of him bringing us to himself. He doesn't just toss down from a distance scraps of grace. He moves right into your house. You're on the couch, he's on the couch. You go to work, he's at work with you. And the amazing mystery is he's not with us. He's not just with us. Like if you had a friend who said, I'm gonna stay with you at all times. I'm gonna be attached to your hip. You're on the couch. I'm on the couch. You're at work. I'm at work. It's not just like that. He is dwelling within us. You will never go anywhere where you are alone. God has given us the incredible gift of his presence. Sometimes we feel it. Sometimes we sense it. Other times we don't, but whether we do or we don't, he is with us. He's never going to leave you, never going to forsake, never going to abandon, never going to walk away. He never takes a break from us. That amazes me. I need a break from me. He never leaves us. Now listen, that did happen though in the Old Testament. We see examples of times that the Holy Spirit would come to Samson, Saul, and then Leave, But the promise that the believer has in Christ is that he will never leave us. As a Christian, you'll never encounter a single moment that he's not present. And that is both comforting and convicting. And the conviction part is brought up in the New Testament. Don't you go bring in the Holy Spirit into the defilement of sin. Now, what all does this mean? What all does it mean? Why is this so great? If like me, maybe you have said this sounds nice, but why is it such a big deal? Well, it is an objective truth that he's with us. He's at work. He's doing things. And even when we don't feel it, he is there. But part of how we will know his presence friends, is by seeing the transformation that happens. It's by sensing the change, the the metamorphosis that he brings. So a Christian could say, well, how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit or not? Well, the Bible gives numerous ways to look into, but here here is one of them look at the transformation. And if you see over the course of time, what happens, this is part of the way that God shows the power of the gospel and the power of what salvation is and the beauty of what it means for the Holy Spirit to come to us. He reveals it by transformation that happens in our lives. Christian, as you look back on where you were, and what God saved you out of. And not only that, but using maybe a little bit of sanctified imagination of trying to see where would I be had God not grabbed onto me? There's a scary, ugly thought. If after 20 years, 30 years, however long you've been a believer, what if God didn't grab me? And those ugly sins that were present, what if I had continued on the trajectory that I was heading? You want to know the power of what it is to have the Holy Spirit working inside of you to bring you to God and make you holy? It would be a little bit of a picture of where we would be without him. If you're a skeptic, you're not sure if you believe the truths of the gospel. I I want to pose this little experiment for you. Really look at the lives of Christians. Now, I, I know Satan wants to put in your path hypocritical, churchgoers who call themselves Christians as an ugly representation of it. But you know that the true thing exists. You know that there are truly genuine believers. Look at their lives. I know sometimes whenever you walk into a church, Sometimes folks mistakenly, I've heard this from visitors before, they mistakenly come in and they're in the midst of their brokenness and they'll say things like, man, you guys got it all together. First of all, (laughs) let me try not to laugh myself onto the floor thinking we got it together. You don't know what happened um, (laughs) at 8.30 this morning when the four-year-old was screaming about getting her hair done before coming to church. You don't see all of those things for one. You don't know the depths of twistedness that's still in my heart and every Christian's heart. But let me also say this. You don't see where we were. And you also don't see what we would have been apart from grace. Every local church that I know of that has a a group of true followers of Christ, man, there's a whole lot of twisted ugliness that was there and we're still fighting. And man, I'm still aggravated by the amount of twistedness still in my heart. But man, I can tell you the twistedness that once was there And if you could see it, see what it would have been. If you're a skeptic, I I just challenge you to look, investigate, do some interviews with some believers and see the things, the addictions, the twistedness, the ugliness that God brings believers out of, not on day one or two, but over the course of years and decades, what he does, that's the power of the spirit of God at work in his people. We'd all love it for it to be quick. I wish tomorrow I could just get rid of all my disgustingness that's left, but God's intention is for a slow work to happen. And over the course of decades, we see the power of what comes there. By the way, believers, if, if we are more transparent with where we came from and what's remaining, we will help show the power of God and the gospel and the work of the spirit in our lives. But here's this last subpoint. Let me ask this question. Why is it such a big deal that he comes to us. What is he doing that makes this so great? The Bible talks about a lot. Let me mention, because I'm a list guy, it's kind of how I think. Let me mention nine big graces. Nine big graces that scripture shows the Holy Spirit works within us. Some of them I'm just going to mention quickly because it's a message for another day, but I'll just throw some of these out there, okay? So if you're taking notes, firstly, the Holy Spirit is the one who worked the new birth in us. You did not cause your new birth. That was the power of God at work. You could reference Titus 3.5, connect that with John three. Not going to spend a lot of time on that, but let me show you one pattern that the Bible shows over and over again. Whenever you were lost and you came to God, here's how the Bible describes it. You came to God through Christ by the Spirit meaning by the power, the help, the enabling, the empowering, the drawing. There's even one really strong word used in John six of, it's almost the imagery of grabbing by the back of the collar and dragging. I like that word. Okay. Drawn by him. But you Christian, as we worship and we come to know God, we come to God through Christ by the spirit, the equation, the formula doesn't change. Secondly, the Holy Spirit, He is the revealer of truth, the convincer of truth, the light shiner of truth. John 16, 13. But when the Spirit of truth comes, He will lead you into all truth. John sixteen eight. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the Holy Spirit will be active in the world in the work of lost souls coming to hear the gospel, be convinced of the gospel, believe the gospel, be awakened by the gospel, and then after we are converted, other passages show, then be sanctified by his work continuing by the work of the gospel in our lives every time men's hearts are pricked by the word that's his work John 16:26 he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So to the apostles specifically there, he gives the promise that the Holy Spirit would enable them to write the scriptures. There is also a word of promise there for us believers that as we learn the word, the Holy Spirit will help apply the word, bringing to our minds at the right time truths and principles from the word. You Christian, when you come to see And be changed by truth of scripture, the Holy Spirit just did something. If you're ever wondering and thinking, see, sometimes we want things to be too mystical. When oftentimes it are things that we think are natural. And the Bible shows it ain't natural. If he didn't do it, it wouldn't happen. There is a reason why you, you, you church family, before you ever come here on a Sunday morning, we do it on more than just this, but before you, you ever come here on a Sunday morning, a lot of leaders have spent a lot of time and effort begging God for mercy on all of us so that the work of the word will take effect when we are all here. So that what's happening right now, it ain't natural. If it is, go home. This is a waste of time. We are completely dependent on the Holy Spirit doing something naturally. Sure. We can see and mentally comprehend some truths, but you cannot be transformed naturally. We could never have been awakened and converted naturally into salvation. And as a believer in even the ongoing work of comprehending truths so that it changes our thinking, changes us from the inside, that metamorphosis takes place. That's the spirit. That's the spirit. Sometimes we see it. Sometimes we don't. But he's working. And as another important part of this truth, that he's the revealer, the light shiner let me tell you where he is calling attention in scripture. The spirit works to point attention to Christ, to magnify the name of the son. This is, this is a big deal. John 16, 14, Jesus said, he will glorify me. John 15, 26, the spirit of truth. He will testify about me. Listen very carefully. He does not exalt himself. He magnifies Christ. He points the lost to Jesus and he points the believer to Jesus. The Holy Spirit isn't at work in worship services. Make sure we all go around talking about the spirit, the spirit, the spirit flopping on the floor, balking like a chicken and saying, Ooh, the spirit is heavy today. That ain't what he's about. He is pointing you to King Jesus so that you see his glory and we revel and exult in the gospel. Thirdly, he seals us till the day of our redemption. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, you could jot down. His presence in your life is a guarantee and a fetter that binds you to God, ensuring and guaranteeing that you will be fully and finally redeemed. Fourthly, he empowers believers for service. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what is that power for? Not to make yourself look awesome and not to hit home runs in your baseball game. It is to make Jesus known. It is to be useful for the growth of the kingdom of God. Fifthly, he works to sanctify, to make holy, to purify, to transform God's people. A lot of places we could turn to here, but Romans 8, 12 through 14, if you don't believe me, I need to look somewhere up. But this point is big. You know, we hear that the Holy Spirit comes to us in order to make us holy. And, you know, sometimes we hear that and kind of respond, oh, yay. The angels hear that God has sent His Spirit to us to make us holy, and they're going, oh, whoa, amazing. We can kind of respond, oh, okay. Understand, this is part of our sinful inclination that we have such a love for earthly things and fail to see the value of great eternal heavenly things. But friends, we will one day rejoice. We will one day exult in the fact that God came to us to give the gift of making us holy because on the day of judgment and everything is clear, perspective is right and we see my holiness, is my everlasting happiness. Every sin that I rid of my life, every command that I obeyed, every soul that I led to faith in Christ, every act of service that I gave, every part of conforming my life to the direction and purpose of God results in everlasting reward. And we'll see that it's beautiful and we'll see... Sin is ugly and all the things that are not sinful, but things of the earth that are pleasure, and we just see them as little pebbles that mean nothing. We will rejoice. We will rejoice that God made us holy. We will see what a blessing it was and is. Sixthly, he enables and helps and draws us to worship and seek God. Romans eight twenty six. Seventhly, he works to unify the people of God. Second Corinthians 13, 14. Now understand this, what scripture shows is, if a church family has unity, has fellowship, the Holy Spirit did that. Meaning, we don't do it on our own. The Holy Spirit did that very unnatural thing to have a true fellowship. You know, even unbelievers can be friends. But we're talking about fellowship around Christ, around our mutual love for God and exalting his glory. If it happens, then the spirit worked that. Eighthly, he works to give assurance and strength and hope to show us that we are truly sons and daughters of God. Romans 8, 14 and 15 we looked at last week says we are adopted and the Holy Spirit is at work to show us that we're adopted and and then that we will glory in our adoption. When Jesus was explaining who the Holy Spirit is, John 14 again, he said, I'm going to send to you the, the Greek word is parakletos. And it's kind of a difficult word to translate in English because we have no word that matches the fullness of the definition. So our English versions say things like, I will send you the, the helper or the advocate, the comforter, the intercessor. He comes from the Father and the Son. And part of his work is to minister to our hearts, to give you whatever grace you need in the moment to lead you to God. There are some times that the grace we need in a moment is to feel guilty. God doesn't want us to live there and stay there in guilt. He wants us to confess sin, walk in freedom of forgiveness. But there are times we need conviction of sin. He works that. He works with our conscience. But a bigger overall work that he is doing is that he is at work to bring us to where we have confidence in our salvation, that we're assured of where we stand with God, that we really do rejoice in hope. He's working to bring us there. Romans 15 shows, if you have hope, the Holy Spirit did that. Meaning that on our own, we wouldn't come to the right kind of hope. We wouldn't have our hearts strengthened with peace a, a, a security, a trusting, a resting, and a rejoicing and hope that God wants to work in us so that it transforms us. We wouldn't come to there on our own. He is at He is at work within us. Now, a Christian could say, Well, well, Pastor, I mean, like I want to believe what you're saying here, but I don't feel hope. I'm struggling right now with assurance of my salvation. Well, understand it's not a one-day work for one. And also understand this, this is another point that we're going to see about the work of the Spirit in our lives. We don't always submit to what He's doing. We don't always follow where He's leading. We sometimes, like a stubborn mule, pull back on the leash of where He's wanting to bring us. He is at work to bring us to things, but it's not a guarantee that we're going to go where He's leading us. So so, so see this, friends. God has the power to conquer us. He could come to every one of us right now and bam, we're perfect, made perfect right now. But he's chosen in his plan for this little bitty season of life to leave your sinful flesh still in in you and for us to make progress while we have to fight the sinful flesh. When you're glorified, you live in the kingdom of heaven, living in holiness and obedience, it isn't gonna be a war. It's going to be as natural as breathing. You'll never sin again. But right now, the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. God has left us in a place that the battle rages. And just always remember, there's a special kind of glory that we give to God by obeying him when it's hard, when we have to fight and sweat and bleed for it. But what God has decided to do in this age is he is Leading us, but by influencing us. He could conquer you and make you like a robot. He's not going to do that. He's influencing. So the Holy Spirit, he urges. He nudges and pushes. Whispers thoughts into your heart. He woos. He softens. He awakens. He points. He calls attention to He he will arrange things in providence where on the day you needed it, you had the conversation with the exact Christian at the exact right time that brought truths to you. Listen, he's not waving a magic wand. That's usually what we want him to do. The lightning bolt from heaven, bam, comforted. I'm all good now. It's not how he works. You know how he's working? Through the means of grace that God ordained meaning he's using the church. He's using the scriptures. He's using preaching and teaching. He's using Christian fellowship. He's using prayer. He's using memorization. He's using all of these things that God is pushing you towards. But that's why that the Holy Spirit as he is urging and leading, we can walk by the flesh instead of the spirit. That's biblical language. We can grieve the spirit, that's biblical language, by resisting his work. We can quench the spirit, that's biblical language, meaning that what he wants to do inside of us, of the building of worship, zeal, love, compassion for others, all of this desire for usefulness, what he's stirring is like a fire. And whenever we submit to him and we lean in, He's pushing you to read your Bible tomorrow morning. When you read your Bible tomorrow morning, it's building the fire. But there are times we can throw water on the fire and we we quench the fire of the work of the spirit. So, So understand what he is doing. He is pushing you Christian to use the means, modes and methods that God has ordained for your growth in Christ. All of the avenues of Worship and the disciplines. He's pushing you to read your Bible. He's pushing you to pray. He's pushing you to get out of bed and come here to church. As your pastor, I'd say he's also pushing you to come on Wednesday nights, too. (laughs) Shameless plug, I'll do it when I can. He's pushing, he's urging. The the, the thoughts that roll through our minds of, "Ah, I think I'll skip this week, that ain't the Holy Spirit. He's the one urging and leading for you to lean into these things. But listen, as Logan just so wonderfully in Sunday school this morning taught, it's not just about so you check off a box of a list. It's because these things, when done with the right heart, they produce change. This is how we're changed. I want to be transformed by God. Great. It ain't coming as a lightning bolt. It's coming as we work in the word. As we pursue him, as we grip the sword, God gives the increase. He's working with the means and methods that God ordained. He's working to sanctify. He's working to stir things inside of us. Ninthly, I'll just kind of summarize the rest of his work here. He is the dispenser of the Father's gifts to his people who are bought by the blood of Christ. All the eternal graces that God wants to give you, work in you, and work through you. The Holy Spirit is at work to produce it in you. Friends, spiritually speaking, here's the, here's the application, for bringing it to the conclusion. So if you can hang with me for just a couple more minutes. Spiritually speaking, we are a lot weaker than we think we are. The world's always preaching this message, believe in yourself, you're stronger than you think that you are, and Sure, there are some areas that might not apply, like how far you can run or something. But spiritually speaking, when it comes to our capacity to know God, when it comes to our capacity to go towards obedience and holiness, when it comes to our effectiveness in being useful in serving God, meaning ministering to other people and bringing the loss to Christ, we're a lot weaker than we think that we are. A lot of times when we obey We often assume that that came from me, assume I did that all on my own, kind of like assuming Samson was strong because he was strong and we fail to see just how dependent on God's grace we are. You know, there was that night that Jesus was with the apostles and he said, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're Elijah. Some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke for the group and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus then said, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father who is in heaven revealed it to you. Does does it make sense that even like the most basic truth imaginable to become a Christian, we need the help of God to see, understand, be convinced of, and believe? If we need help in that, we need help in every single moment of obedience to God. We often fail to comprehend just how weak and helpless the sin nature has rendered us when it comes to following after Him. And part of that is to understand with assurance where we stand with God. Last verse that I'll read to you, uh, John 7. Jesus said this. He stood up at a feast and he cried out to a crowd and he said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And here's what the next verse says. But this he spoke of the Spirit who would come to us. Within the heart of the justified believer, God wants there to be an ever-flowing spring of living water. And the implication there, the picture there, is a a never-ending source of life, joy, faith, you're never going to run out of faith, justified believer, because God's never going to let the spring run dry. An ever flowing spring of life and hope and every grace that we need. God wants there to be joy in the heart of a believer, He wants there to be peace and strength delight and gladness and gratitude. And he is ensuring that the the leading and the urging and the pushing of those things will never end. It was an act of God's love to send his spirit to come to you. But if you have never turned to Christ in faith, knowing that he's your only hope, if you have never turned to him to be saved, then you need to understand what the Holy Spirit, what his work is in you right now. His work in you right now is to convince you that you are not in this. He is working to show you so that you will come to the realization that you are not in the covenant and the special love of God. You are not in eternal life. You need this. And so there's a reason why whenever you listen to scripture, there's a reason why there's conviction and uneasiness. And you may not like it. It's because the Holy Spirit is pricking some things. Now you can resist, quench, and try to sear off and callous your heart. But if you are honest with what he's doing, he's showing you you're not right with God. But you could be before you even walk out those doors today. Turn to Christ. Believe on Christ. Call out to him. Asking God to save you. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, thank you for yet another incredible gift that you revealed to us of what you've done for us. Lord, we love you and thank you, and we ask that as we walk out these doors, that we will live as people who are filled with the Spirit. I pray that we will walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Lord, I pray that we will not grieve the spirit, quench the spirit, but Lord, will go where he is leading us. Thank you for loving us. Please give us grace to obey you and I pray for any lost in the room, O oh God, that they will be drawn by the spirit to trust in Christ. Help us, Lord, and we ask all these things through Jesus. Amen. Lord, bless you all.
0: Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed and were deeply affected by this week's message on the topic of the Holy Spirit. Tune in again next week as we continue through God's word at True Vine Baptist Church. We also invite you to like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter at TrueVineIND, or visit our website at true-vine-baptist.org.